Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero. Thanks for listening to The Tour Coach. These are the players, coaches, experts, stories, and insights from my work on the PGA Tour at my retreats or my downtown teaching center in Mobile, Alabama. My goal is to shed light and share insights from the people who I've gotten to know and meet working on the PGA Tour and teach it through my career. And I hope this helps all of us play, coach, and teach better golf. If you like what you hear, please give us a good review and take a look at our new Dew Sweepers YouTube channel or the Dew Sweeper on Instagram, where I've taken some time to share videos of help from my teachings, travels, and journeys. Hi, everybody. Joining me here now on the tour coach, somebody that I had him on the radio show weeks ago. I didn't realize how long we do known each other. It's uh, made me feel even older. Good friend. He's been an important part of my development as a teacher for a long time, from my early days with Hank Johnson and uh, down at Sandestin, I think was the first time that we met. Started shot by shot. Now he's with Swing U. Lots of, uh, lots of insight into the numbers and the stats in the game of golf, and I've always been fascinated by some of the stuff that he's told me and helped me develop young players. In fact, we're using it more than ever now with uh, the elite development program that Colby and Colby Touye, Dr. Greg Carton and I are doing with 10 folks as they've been putting their data into his system. And actually, I'm Thomas Henderson, one of my young players, is in a qualifier today. I'm going to work with him tomorrow, and we're going to look at his report as soon as, uh, as, soon as I pull into a parking lot. But, uh, Peter, how you doing, bud? I'm doing very well, Tony. Thank you. Makes you feel old, realizing how long we've known each other, huh? <laughs> Only because I am old. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. It, it, you know, I was thinking about this last week before we did the little radio segment for WNSB and Mobile. And then this week as I was going through some stuff, and I was like, man, you know, uh, man, that was a long time ago. Some of those early yeah. HJ days. I remember that first. I think it was really, to be honest, maybe the first. You know, I do these junior camps and retreats, and it's been such a big part of what I do. But I think maybe the first one we kind of ever did, Hank started those, was down at Sandessa. And I think you might have been one of the first guests HJ we ever had down there. I remember when you, we brought you down and we did some stuff with some of the young folks. So it's, it's been a long dang time. Yeah, yeah. I remember we did, uh, I did a presentation in the evening, but I also set up uh, this uh, putting skills test uh, yep. that we did. And the kids loved it. They they, they I want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. I, I never forget how bad some of them were in comparison to how they were <laughs> yeah yeah we made them one let's before we get into you know golfers today stuff we're seeing i got some questions how the hell did you get started on this journey and to you know get into golf stats and the the numbers and really delve into where shots are going and and take us to how, how the heck did you get started i mean what caused all this yeah that's a good question and and it's one that i you know, I appreciate, you know, as I called it shot by shot and uh, strokes lost and saved. It, it wasn't until the PGA Tour got involved that it became known as strokes gained and, and everybody forgets that I came up with it. But I was, you know, I was a good athlete. In 1983, it was a long time ago, I got into a really good golf club. And uh, and so I, I said, you know, I'm going to take this seriously, and and I 
and I took a lesson with the pro and and I started to record the traditional stats that all the magazines you know promoted and and, and that's all there were and as you know I mean there were five stats fairway sits green and regulation scrambling sand saves and number of putts per round so here I am that was it. keeping track and uh, not only, I mean, I can go through a litany on each one of those stats. Basically, they're yes, no answers to questions or, or numbers, percentages that are single, you know, that are yes, no to a multidimensional game. So I started thinking, what could I do better? And coincidentally, in my job with, in a reinsurance firm, I had been experimenting with uh, computer models to predict the relative frequency and severity of losses with the, with the risks that we looked at. And, you know, there were no computers at our desks in those days, but, uh, you know, a nice young lady would roll in a, a computer and a printer into my office and I'd say, let's let's do this times this and subtract that and then average this and she'd create the models and then I and then we'd run them and it worked better than I ever ever thought it could and all they were were Excel spreadsheets really so in my trying to get better at golf and keeping the the traditional statistics I I got nothing out of those mainly because they're one-dimensional but also the only comparative data was the PGA Tour and for someone who started at a 14 handicap, when my first handicap, to learn that I should be hitting 11 greens in regulation when I was only hitting three <laughs> was was uh, right. a little bit depressing. And the rest of the numbers just didn't make sense. So I talked to my bride and said, you know what, I think I could revolutionize golf statistics. I'll create a model of how the game is played at scratch at, at, you know, zero differential from slope adjusted course rating and then compare each shot to that model and come up with a, a value of every shot in golf. And so that, that's what I did. And for years was, you know, I made three presentations to the PGA tour and they finally got back to me and said, because the shot link was going to be perfect for this. And uh, right, right. they finally, finally got back to me and said, we're going to let the public tell us where they want us to go with, with ShotLink. And so I, I wrote back to the gentleman who actually kind of became a friend. And I said, that would be like NASA launching a rocket and then saying, yeah, we're going to see where it goes. They spent yeah. millions and millions and millions in collecting all this data, yet they are still doing traditional stats, you know, but minute things. So anyway, that's, that's how I got into it and uh, just kept going with it. And finally, it's become the, you know, accepted way for, for everybody to analyze golf. And while I don't get credit for it, it my, my business has been uh, fairly successful. It's been a huge part of my understanding of, you know, helping players get better. Just from my personal experience, one of the things that I like about the stuff that you do, you kind of alluded to it with when you were, I think, in a 14 handicap. You know, I think so. We develop a lot of juniors and up and coming players, and 
everybody just goes by the PGA Tour averages that you can basically Google, right? Or you can pull up, you know, you can pull up on an app. And to me, that is frustrating. Or people sometimes players, to me, don't often realize that they're better than they are in areas because they're comparing them. You know, a 14-year-old probably isn't going to hit as many greens as a guy that's the hundredth on the PGA Tour. <laughs> you know, yeah, or, or no someone, question, right? And and then another thing, and I'd like you to expand upon it is I, I don't know that players or especially recreational golfers realize that not every tour player hits it six feet from 150 yards, right? And that when they yeah. hit it 25 feet, it's an acceptable shot. And, and I fight that with young players coming up all the time. And, and, you know, even actually, to be honest, a lot of tour players, you know, you'll get done and you, you, know, you kind of sit down and they're like, oh, I didn't hit it very good and this, that, and the other. And you're like, well, I mean, you, you hit it 20-something feet here. That's a pretty good shot. Talk a little bit about that. Well, one thing when we watch golf on TV, especially on the weekends, you're basically seeing the players who are at the top of their game. Then, so right. it gives it gives the audience and you know myself included a uh, overblown sense of how the game is, is played. And yeah, the average average PGA Tour player is you know not nearly as good as what you see on TV because they're missing cuts and yeah. and all that. But it's very important for people to have accurate comparative data for their game. And every player who can, you know, play well enough to record a score, and that's usually what I look for as a as a starting point for using our program, that, you know, they have to be comfortable recording at least nine holes while they play. Yeah. And... uh Everyone has strengths and weaknesses that stand out. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I have never seen anyone from the top tour players with whom I've worked, many of whom came through you, down to the average golfer. Everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. And if you can tell them what they are and why, and that's what our comparative data can do, then they can focus their improvement efforts where it'll do the most good and accelerate their improvement to where they want to go. And so our target handicaps, you know, that go all the way up to, you know, the average average golfer, the 25 handicap, people can start up there and work their way down the ladder. Every time they reach or exceed their target, then they choose the next one down and the next one and the next one. And, uh, We've had some really, I get some really good uh, emails from, from amateurs out there that say, you know, I started as a 19 and I'm now a 6. Right. I always like to ask you this type of question. So when you look at because you have such a large group of data, you've been doing it a long time. You know, I'm one of those teachers that still, even though I teach a bunch of guys to play for a living, I still enjoy and spend a great deal of time, not just with juniors, but recreational golfers. I mean, I, to me, variety is a little bit of the spice of life but when you look at golfers as they go from a guy that breaks you know the the up the guy getting started he shoots 100 to break 90 90 to 80 80 to 70 70 to a guy playing for a living are there some commonalities that as you go down and you know as you get better each jump where you see certain things improve or there's some traits that you know are there as somebody makes a jump you know it, it each level of player? Yes. Yeah, there are. And as you know, I've written blogs over the years of 
breaking 80, you know, breaking 90, and even even down to I think I think I did one on breaking par. But and I point out the major the averages of of what's going on at each of those levels and how you have to to understand those averages. And it typically is the relative frequency and severity of errors. Everyone in golf makes errors. It's just a matter of how many and how serious they are. And so the the big error games are the big part of the game that, that contributes to errors. The, the biggest is driving because people are trying to hit the ball a long way and, and uh, so there's a lot of volatility there. Putting is another short game obviously if you can't get the ball on the green when you're close close in you're going to make a lot of doubles and i had a an interesting thing my son after stewing golf as a as a child when, <laughs> when he had access to this nice he had access to lessons and this wonderful golf course and practice area and he said dad golf's not a sport and <laughs> he played you know all the majors you know basketball football and and uh and lacrosse but he got his group of high school friends from his football team that have stayed in touch, and they go on two golf trips a year. They're all out working, you know. He's on Wall Street, uh, you know. They're all doing very good things, and they got back to me and said, "Sanders, can you do a breaking a <laughs> hundred? I'd never, I'd never gone that high because I didn't think people cared about it." And so I did. I did a, finally did the breaking hundred blog for my son's friends. But anyway, but it's definitely identifying the frequency and severity of the bad shots. So now you kind of talked about everybody hitting it so far, and I've had tour players that I've argued with about this, and I'm not going to get you in a fight here or anything. But you know, there's this thought that it's just about hitting it down there as far as you can. How do you factor that into errors? And, like, where's the benefit to, like, it's worth it just to hit it as far as you can and risk the air? You see where I'm going with that? You know, because I think yeah, there yeah. – Because I think – I don't disagree with people that distance is a huge, huge advantage, right? But if you mm-hmm. can hit it 330, but to me, if you can hit it 330, but three out of seven times you're going to re-tee or pitch out, then it isn't an advantage for you. So, like, from your point of view, how do we look at distance and, like, as we know it's an advantage, but still the need to be able to manage your misses and the severity of it? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The uh, bomb and gouge <laughs> came into right. play with, yeah. when everyone started. Well, like, Tiger started hitting it all over the place, but he had the most incredible ability to recover shots. So when other people try to do it, you know, sometimes worked and sometimes doesn't. If you, the really long hitters out there that sometimes they blow a tournament away with thing, but they don't all the time. There's those tournaments where they're not quite hitting it as straight as they are far and they don't make the cut. So that's what I have to talk to tour players with whom I work. You know, hitting it as far is fine, but you got to keep it in play. Right. So the average tour player makes a driving error, you know, hitting a, a no shot, as we call it in our program. You know, it's behind a tree, it's under a bush, it requires an advancement to get it back into normal play. Or the more 
costly errors of a penalty, you know, that requires a drop or lost ball out of bounds where where they have to re-tee, they make that error on average on tour 0.6 times per round. So Not even uh, one time around. Not even one time around. So when I go through a given tournament with, you know, four rounds or, or, or only two, and I see they're making two a round, well, that doesn't seem like a lot, and they don't remember it. But when I point out not only the number of them, but the strokes that they lost, usually there's a direct correlation between missing the cut by one, missing the cut by two, and those four or five extra shots lost in driving errors. What about you look at the guy that wins, okay, the guy that wins during the week. You touched on, like, you know, that's the guy playing his best. Do you see a correlation with the guy that wins as certain X stats tend to happen during a week, like driving or, you know, is it, you know, accuracy, you know, as far as approach shots, you know, or is there just a variety of recipes that could lead you to a PGA Tour win? Yeah, there's a similarity, and I uh, I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to record the winner's data every week, and I came up with some some formulas. Like a, 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 you'll remember my 70% rule. First of all, they couldn't have any serious errors. That goes without saying. Yeah. But they'd hit center of their fairways, 70% of their greens in regulation, and they'd make 70% of their putts uh, within six to ten feet, no, uh, within five to ten feet, and their scrambling would be 70%. So if all those things averaged out to 70%, that was the winner profile. That's interesting. Talk about putting. So putting's another area that I think all golfers could understand better from your perspective because one, I think people are unrealistic with how many 10, 15, 20 footers they're supposed to make, right? And, I, and, and even professional golfers, and especially young pros coming up that I teach, like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, how you play and then sitting there and you're kind of going through the interview process and they're like, I just, I don't make enough 25 footers. Like, how many 25 footers do you think you're supposed to make, right? You know? Yeah. And, and then if they're hitting it, or they talk about that they're three putting too many times. But they're hitting it 50 feet a lot. Talk a little bit about, like, you know, hey, what are the best players and the ones that are excelling doing, you know, make percentage and, you know, where are they making all of their putts? And, and then also, where is there a place or a, is there a range, Peter, that you could practice at a distance to where if you started making more of them, you'd really pick up a good bit of, for lack of a better word, strokes gained on the field? Yeah, yeah. And putting 40% of the game at every level of the game. You know, as scores go up, so do numbers of putts from, you know, uh, as a percentage of the score. So in the presentations that I make to, uh, you know, coaches and instructors, and, you know, you've sat through a number of them, and they're really boring, you know. But what I like to do is say to have a little quiz at the end, and say, let's, let's see how much we who are in the business of helping people become better. And, you know, we eat, breathe and live golf. How good are you at knowing what the difference is between the average PGA tour player 
and the average golfer, 15 to 19 handicap. And so with putting, I have these two stats. I say, okay, where where is the 50% make distance on the PGA Tour versus the 15 to 19 handicap? And of course, as you move away from the hole, you know, at three feet, you make 99% of them, you know, four feet, five feet, but where is the 50% make the distance? And I'm sure you know it because you're steeped in this. For the tour players, it's eight feet. You know, that's average everyday tour player will make 50% of their eight footers. Now, the people that we see winning but, tournaments. But Peter, are, don't you, don't you think if we ask the average person how many, what percentage of eight footers a PGA tour player make, they would all say it'd be like 80%. Yes. Because that's what they see on TV. Be, people would be vastly, they would be way off on that number to me. If you oh, have the average, average person. I just did this for the Swing U group of 20, you know, 20 people in a room. And they're not, you know, they're in the golf business, but they're not, you know, steeped in it the way you and I are. And the, the guesses of what the 50% way was like 12 to 15 feet. But anyway, so the average golfer, so it's eight feet for the PGA Tour. The average golfer is 4.6 feet. They make 50%. And they think they make it at eight and 10. And so what happens <laughs> is they end up three, three putting because they try too hard to make the, uh, you know, the seven, eight, 10 footers. And then I go to what is the 2.0 make Range. In other words, as you move away from the hole, your one putt, one putt, two putt, two putts, three putts, that average 2.0, at what distance is that? And for the tour player, it's 35 feet. That means they two putt 90 some percent of the time and their one putts and their three putts offset each other. So what do you think that distance is for the average golfer? You probably, you probably know it anyway. It's 16 feet. And, you know, everybody, most of the the instructors that use shot by shot have a good idea of that, like you would because you have. The instructors that don't are saying, you know, 25 feet. The average golfer needs to be being very careful when they get outside 10 feet, uh, not the three putts. The thing to me is, like, if you use that information from a teaching perspective, right, and we're talking about a you know, we're not talking about a tour player here, and I'll get into that in a minute. But, like, it shows you that if you use those stats and you can show a player, it shows you the importance of something like when you're going to work on part of your lesson, the importance of speed work when it comes to putting, right? Yeah. And I've had that. I've used your information. You've helped me before with certain tour players, and you're like, you're, you know, you're like, hey, I mean, you know, guy's great inside four or five feet now. You know, he's got to get better at speed control from 25 feet because he's, you know, because the three putts are up and so forth like that. Like, to me, understanding this information is very, very bad. You know, yeah. and how you structure instruction and, and also for the player to use it to understand how to structure their practice. Yeah, and you asked me what what distance would be a good practice. Well, there's two there's two skills in putting as far as I'm concerned. One is direction, and that's short putts. And the other is speed, and that's lag putts. And so I recommend that everybody work pretty hard on their short putts, and that means three foot, four foot, five foot, and six feet putts, and become as proficient as you can. And, and you know, I've got the 
I've got the uh, putting skills test on the on the website that that helps people do that and gives them a handicap and you know they they just keep track of of their distances of, of practice and then for speed control I recommend 30 feet because it's the middle of you know like 20 to 50 and if you're proficient right. from 30 feet then you can gauge everything as a percentage of that so. I tell people you're going out to a play in a tournament on a, you know greens that you haven't putted before. Put tees down 30 feet apart on some fairly flat uh, section of the green and hit two or three balls back and forth until you can close your eyes and hit it that far. I love that. And I mean, I, I teach all facets of the game, and to me, and maybe this is because coming up underneath, you know, spending a bunch of time with you under Hank Johnson and Wayne Flynn, like, you know, when I structure a person's putting practice and routine, I structure a lot of three, four, five-footers, but especially some short putts where it's straight, they learn to get it online, and then everything else is out 25 to 40 feet just working on speed control, trying to, you know, do ladder drills and stuff like that. Because I think if you can learn to get it online three, four, five feet, you'll make your share of those. And then if you can have consistently improve and be aware of your speed control, I think you'll improve your putting. I've always, that's always been my belief. Yeah, and it works. So we've talked about driving. We've talked about putting. I want to cover two more things. Let's talk about wedges and approaches, you know, and, and where can folks, you know, like from 100, 125 or 100 in with their wedges, you know, what are the tour players doing and what are where can recreational golfers use this information to improve their game? And then I want to talk about short game, chipping and pitching right around the green. Yeah, okay. First, and you, I've shared it with you, but there was a, a myth came out on, I call it a myth, that <laughs> the, uh, the uh, proximity to the hole was the whole, you know, the holy grail of approach shots and that everybody on tour and everywhere should be, you know, you got to get that proximity to the hole. And so it came up with one of my favorite tour players in our meeting together. And you know who that is. And, yep. and the, the entourage, you know, the, the people around him were, were saying he's, he's hitting enough greens. He's, he's, not, he's not hitting it close enough. Shouldn't he be attacking the pins? And I knew the answer, but I didn't want to just blurt out and, you know, maybe, maybe misstep. So I said, well, I'll do a study and, and get back to you. So I, I did this. Was, this was in, in uh, 19, this was, God, this was three or four years ago. And I took the top 10 players on tour and I compared their proximity to the hole to their strokes gained approach. And only one of them was in the top 10 of proximity to the hole. But all of them were in the top 10 of strokes gained approach. And then I did a study of if you were to miss a green versus hitting it to the average distance of just inside 35 feet, that the average approach shot that hits the green is 35 feet, you would have to make up, you would have to hit all of your 11.5 greens that you hit to eight feet closer to make up for missing that green. So, and, and then finally, finally I said at the end of my presentation, 
I said, and does anybody know who who led the, the tour in proximity to the hole last year? And they all looked at each other and went, no. I said, I said, yeah. You know why? He finished 165th on tour in the money. Right. That shows you that there's more to the numbers. But the point is, hit the greens. And this is for tour players and average players. When the opportunity is there with the right club and the right circumstances, certainly knock the flag stick down. But otherwise, hit the ball on the green. No, yeah, I, but I love what you said about hitting the greens because I've had multiple tour players that, like, have played phenomenal golf. And guys that have won have told me, like, you know, all I did that week was I didn't feel like I, I – one in particular didn't feel great with my game. So I tried to take advantage of par fives. And then unless I had a wedge, I just tried to hit it. You know, I tried to hit it to 25, 35 feet, correct side of the hole, and next thing you know, I've got two shots leading that win. Right, but like I think that yeah. there's, you know, I think that there's a, a common thread with that. Now go ahead, to short game. Sorry, I interrupted. The same quiz that I that I give all my uh, instructors is is interesting in the short game. So the PGA Tour average of sitting and pitching around the green is in my, my program has always been an acceptable or a good shot is to get it within five feet of the hole. And the PGA Tour players do that 46% of the time on average. That's the uh, 2021 tour statistics that I compiled. And the, the 15 to 19 habit of the average golfer only does it 15% of the time. By contrast, the PGA Tour player will make an error, which an error meaning miss the green and taking four or more shots to hole out. So, you know, they miss the green, then they chip it on and don't one putt. They'll only do that 2% of, of their shots, whereas the average golfer do, do it four times as often, 8% of their of their shots are errors in chipping and pitching. So it shows how, how important the short game and, again, frequency and severity of errors are. And then the sand game, as you know, is way harder oh. for the for, for the average golfer. And so the, our uh, barometer for a good shot there is sent to eight feet. And the PGA Tour does it 48% of the time. And the average golfer, again, does it 15% of the time. So that's, that's an indication of how much harder it is to get it close. But the errors are astounding. PGA Tour will make an error 3% of the time. And the average golfer, 27%, almost one in every three shots from the stand for the average golfer is an error. So, I mean, and I think that as we wrap this up, to me, what I've got always gotten out of our work together and the, the times you've been able to share information with me is that for all golfers, reducing the number of errors and the severity of the errors is really one of the biggest keys to success. And so, like, from a golf teacher, my point of view is always to figure out in the golf swing or in the approach to the game, what's causing those errors and the severity of the errors and attack that. And if I do that, I'm going to make the player better. You know, and the, but the information that you provide helps us find out, like, where are those errors being made? But is that a pretty accurate assessment of, from your point of view, of what I've taken from our work, that it's about reducing errors and the severity of the errors if you want to get better? Yep. The frequency and severity of errors plays the biggest part of a player's scoring profile, far more than do the average and even good shots that they hit 
influence the, you know, because they could hit hit a shot to four feet and miss the putt. That doesn't right. Yeah. But if they hit it out of bounds, it's out of bounds. So <laughs> it, it, it's always the frequency and severity of errors, and and it's not always in the same place. It's you know I always always say we're all snowflakes. We find our individual unique way to shoot our number. Peter, awesome stuff. Thanks for taking the time. Double duty. Last week, sitting in with me on the Dew Sweepers. This week, sitting down to take, I've been wanting to have you on. And thanks for all the help over the years and the friendship. And I mean, you've provided some, I don't always share it with all of my players. Like, I, I'll ask you to run a report. And a lot of times, I never share it with players, don't even know I'm doing it. It's just information for me, right? To help coach them. Yeah. But it's been such valuable insight. And uh, in fact, I'll share this. Like in 2018, going into 19, I was working with Lucas Glover. I asked you to run some stats for me, and you said, "Hey, great ball striker. You know, you need to get better at up and down percentage, right? And scrambling." And it was something that I hadn't particularly focused on. And heck, that was the focus of that whole year. In every practice, we did some drills that were replicated what was going on in the golf course. And he made the tour championship, and he finished top ten in scrambling. But like to me, that you know, that's that's how what you do and coaches work together and and find you know find where the the path to success is. Yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed uh, well all the players that, that you brought me. But you know, as you're working with these young elite players, and uh, you have a question, or you want me to take a look with any of your tour players, I, I'll always be happy to do it. Oh, I know that. Peter, I appreciate you sitting in. Thanks for uh, let everybody out there also know how to find you to get more information on your services and stuff like that. Because, look, if you're listening to this, especially if you're a coach developing players, any skill level of player, or you're a, you know, you're a, a coach coaching PGA Tour players or college players, Peter's got some wonderful information. Peter, let people know how to find you. Well, you can find my blog on shotbyshot.com under About Us, and I've got you know a, a, a storehouse of, of articles and blogs, and yeah. you can read. And the uh, you know the same the same unique uh, stream down data entry and analysis is available at, at Swing U, and as a bonus, people get the uh, distance finding app, the GPS distance app to go along with it, as well as uh, these new Straka green readings. So so Swing U's got it going, and they're using my uh, shot-by-shot data analysis. Awesome, Peter. Everybody check it out. Peter, thanks. Thanks, Tony. Anytime. Thanks for listening to this edition of Tour Coach. I want to take a minute and thank Cordy Walker and Golf Science Lab, as well as my sponsors, Shrikshan, Buick, Bushnell, and Vineyard Vines for helping make all of this possible and helping me share my insights with you. If you like what you've heard, why don't you check out more on the Dew Sweepers channel on YouTube as well as the Dew Sweeper on Instagram or go to dewsweepersgolf.com to find out more about my teaching, my travels, and where you can find out more about me.